Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Kevin Kiefer. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Good. Good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Kevin. If uh, you're new here and we haven't met, uh, we just welcome you guys. So uh, honored that you guys would uh, come and and uh, worship the Lord with us. We are in um, a very, very interesting sermon series uh, on vocabulary words. We decided that since the kids were in school, we were going to go back to school and we were going to talk about some key concepts, some key words um, that illuminate the character of God, the purpose of God, the heart of God, what it means to follow Jesus and things like that. And so does anybody remember our word for last week? Sabbath, that's right, Shabbat, right? And I encouraged you sort of comically to race to Sabbath, which doesn't really make a lot of sense unless you know what race stands for. And I just wanted to review, uh, race stands for resting, could I, and this is a good time to talk about this because today is Sunday, it could be Sabbath day for many of you, so I wanted to encourage you to rest in the Lord, I wanted to encourage you that A stands for attend, to attend to your heart, to attend tend to how things are going inside, to just be in God's presence and offer him your heart to connect with yourself. The C stands for connecting with God and connecting with the people that are closest to you. And finally, the E stands for maybe my favorite. You remember? Enjoy. Enjoy. On Sabbath, we, we stop our, our, our running around and our pursuit and our accumulation and we just take a day to enjoy God. We take a day to enjoy the things that God has given us, the people that He's given us. And so I really hope that you guys will race to Sabbath today. But today, um, I'm gonna be tackling two words and the words are sin and grace. Sin and grace. We're going to talk about those two things together. And my sermon today is going to have three sections. We're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about grace. And then we're going to talk about what to do when we mess up. And uh, a number of years ago, I was talking to this friend of mine, a Christian guy, and I was telling him that I was planning on uh, preaching on, on the concept of sin. And he said, why would you do that? And I said, what do you mean? He said, why, why would you talk about sin? Because sin is no longer an issue for us. Jesus paid the price for our sin. He, the, the cross was sufficient. As a matter of fact, the cross triumphs over sin. And so there's really no need for us to talk about sin anymore because uh, sin is an issue of our past. And we need to get on to bigger and better things as the church. And I want to tell you that I disagreed with him and I went ahead and talked about sin uh, after that. And here's the reason why I think that we need to continue to talk about sin, because the reality for all of us that have put our faith in Jesus, the reality for, is that for all of us that have put our trust in him and are living for him, um, sin is broken over our lives. The power of sin and, and is, is done. Like we have eternal life and we have the righteousness of Jesus as our righteousness now. And so that is true of us and it's true of our eternal destiny, but 
sin is still a very living, real issue in our lives. Today, we still struggle with sin. Still, sin, sin still has an impact on us. It has an impact on people that we care about. And so I wanted to talk about that today. Um, and I hope that this will, um, maybe just shape your thinking or uh, wake you up a little bit or just get you focused a bit. Um, and so we're going to talk about it. But first, I want to talk about um, how we define sin and how the Bible really defines sin. And it's kind of interesting because the, the biblical definition of sin is actually embarrassingly simple. Um, when the Bible refers to sin, it uses, uses two words. The Old Testament word is kata, uh, and in the Greek, it's hamar, hamartia, okay? And the definition of sin is to, to miss the mark. It's to just to miss it, right? It's just you missed what you were going for. And so uh, that Old Testament word kata, there's a there's an interesting reference to it uh, where the you know the Israel had tw- uh, twelve tribes, and the tribe of Benjamin actually had a group of soldiers that were so well trained with slingshots that it was said in in the scripture that this group of soldiers with with their slingshots they were so good that they could knock the hair off of their enemies without kata, without missing them, without missing the mark. And so to sin is simply to miss the mark. But then, of course, the question is, well, what is the, the goal? What is the mark? What is it that we're trying to achieve? If we're missing something, well, what is the something that we're missing when we sin? And to figure that out, we're going to go to um, Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, and here's what uh, what Jesus has to say about this. And this is, uh, we're entering into a conversation with Jesus and uh, a teacher of the law. And by the way, this sermon today, we're going to just look at a whole bunch of different stories that are going to help us to understand these concepts that we're talking about. So Mark chapter 12 says this, one of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus and some other people debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him of all the commandments, which is the most important. I know many of you have heard this, but just let's receive this again. Jesus said the most important one answered Jesus is this hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love, here it is, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the goal for us followers of Jesus is to love God with everything, everything that we have, everything that we are, all of our thoughts and actions and our our money and our time and our energy. It's to love God with everything that we have and everything that we are. That is the defining call of our lives. And so what the Bible says is that sin is simply missing it, missing the mark for loving God and missing it for if we don't, if we ever miss the opportunity to love people. It's loving God and loving people. Those are the defining characteristics of our lives. As a matter of fact, um, if you haven't read the, the uh, Ten Commandments in a while, one thing that you might notice about them is that five of those commandments are devoted to us loving God. And the other five of the Ten Commandments are devoted to how we love people. And so sin is simply missing it when we miss the opportunity to love God, to honor God, to love people, and to honor one another, okay? But again, some people think, well, Jesus died for a sin, so shouldn't we be on to bigger and better things? And I would say the answer is no. We need to think about sin, and here's the reason why. And the first one is this, and I think this is the most important one, and it is that our sin grieves God. 
our missing the mark, our failure to love and honor him, grieves God. And this may not feel like it's the most important thing, but I really believe, church, that it is, right? And so we just said that the greatest commandment was to love him with everything that we have. And if I were to ask you guys about the quality of your connection with him, like what's, what's your, you know, how are you doing with God, right? Well, many of you guys would probably say something like, you know, I've been praying a lot, and that's been really, really good. I feel connected to him. Um, I, you know, I love worshiping. I've been in the word. God and I are doing really, really well. I doubt that if I were to ask many of you guys, how is your connection with God, you would mention how well you're doing at obeying. I doubt that you would mention that you haven't sinned in a while. And you know what's kind of interesting about it to me is that whenever I talk to people about their connection with God, if the first thing that they say is, well, I don't think I've sinned very much, my first instinct is to go, I wonder if you understand the gospel. Because it's not about our behavior. And yet, if we look at the sum of scripture, if we look at what the Bible tells us, what we'll discover, you guys, is that our honor of God and our obedience to God and our conduct before him is a key mark of how we actually are related to God and how we are doing in our love for him. It's actually important. And so Paul wrote on this topic in his letter to the church in Ephesus, and he said this, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God uh, gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and, and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature in the former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes and put on your new nature created. Listen, put on your new nature, which was created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Now he gets into like some of the nitty gritty details. He said, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry for anger gives the foothold, gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything that you say be good and helpful so that your words may be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he identified you. That's the Holy Spirit. He identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another, one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. 
And so Paul, he, he says a lot here, right? But the first thing that he says is that now that you have been guaranteed to be saved on the day of redemption, we are to actively, now that that's happened, now that that's a part of our lives, we are to actively throw off any thought, any attitude, any word, any behavior that belongs to the old, sinful, messed up, self-seeking, selfish part of our old lives. Why? Because now we are created to be like God. We are now created to be like Jesus. And then, of course, Paul gives this long list, this laundry list of stuff that should no longer be a part of a Christian's life, right? And so he says, you know, uh, don't be angry, right? Don't use our words for evil instead of good. Um, be truthful. Stop stealing. All this stuff. And as Paul was listing that, I... I found myself indicted in that. I found myself challenged by that and a little bit convicted. I, I don't know about you, but then look at verse 30. And this is, this is really what I want to say to us. Verse 30 says this, do not sorrow. Um, uh, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on that day of redemption. Do you guys think much about the fact that we can bring sorrow to God by our behavior, that he feels it, that it breaks his heart, that he cares about it? Um, I was thinking about my relationship with Molly and, you know, um, over, we celebrated our 25th anniversary this year. And over the course of our 25 years, um, I have made Molly cry, uh, probably lots of times. She's not much of a crier. And so if she's crying, I know that I really, really messed up, right? And I'm not going to tell any amusing stories about it. I'm not going to make light of it um, because it's actually kind of a big deal. And there's a, there's a reasonable part of me that would say, listen, man, if you're going to spend every day together for 25 years, stuff is going to happen, Right. But if I were to make light of this, if I were to be dismissive about the ways that I have injured Molly's heart, I would be making light of this, this covenant that I've committed myself to. I'd be making light of this commitment that I made to bring her life. I'd be making light of this commitment that I made to honor her and to bless her and to care for her. And that just won't work. And if I were to sort of say, it doesn't really matter that once in a while I screw up, I would basically be showing you guys how clueless I am about the impact that my actions have on Molly's heart. And if that's true of Molly, broken Molly, how much more true is it of what happens when we dishonor and dis disobey and let the Lord down because his heart can be broken. He created us. He loved us with everything that he has. He gave his whole life to us. And I just want to ask, could we ever be cavalier about how we treat the Lord? Could we ever be lighthearted about our sin and our approach to the way that we honor him? I don't want to be dismissive of my behavior before the Lord. I want to encourage you guys to really, really care about that. And like Molly mentioned during the announcements, our first flame is that ignite flame, right? And what we say is that we're trying to ignite a vibrant connection and a relationship with Jesus. And I want you to know that our behavior, our words and our thoughts and our actions, those things can either ignite that connection or they can quench it. 
And they can make that connection with Jesus difficult for us. And so I want to encourage us that sin matters because God's heart can be wounded by our, by our actions. And that's a big deal to us. Number two, I'm not going to go into any detail about this, but, um, the other thing is, is that not only does our sin and our brokenness wound God's heart, but it hurts people around us. There are no victimless crimes in our missing the mark, uh, because either we wound people around us or at least we wound ourselves. No question about it. So it's important. Number three, our sin separates us from God. Anybody disagree with that? See, I, um, as I was writing that, I know that some of you would say, that's not true. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? That we, we know that. But here's what I want to say. While it's true that nothing can separate us from the love of God, have you ever noticed how when you've really messed up, have you noticed how you can sort of feel a sense of shame and kind of want to hide a little bit from God that, that sometimes our behavior seems to have a way of making us feel distant from God. Have you ever had that? Especially if there's like a pattern of sin in your life that you can't seem to, to get around. I was thinking about, um, about Adam and Eve and how great an example they are of just the human condition. Because you guys know the story. God said, Hey, don't eat of this one tree. They ate the fruit of that tree. And what was the first thing that they did? They discovered that they were naked and they went and they hid from God. And this is such a good picture, you guys, because while Adam and Eve felt shame before God and they hid from him, what was God doing? Looking. He was pursuing them. God was pursuing, but they were hiding. And in the same way, what I've noticed about myself, and I wonder if it's true of you, is that oftentimes when we sin in any particular way, and especially when we enter into a sort of a pattern of sin, it has a way of making us want to run and hide from God. And it interrupts our fellowship. It interrupts our connection with him. And that's a big deal to us. We need to take our behavior seriously because we want to have uninterrupted connection. And I'll be honest with you. If you ever mess up royally with God, the best thing you could do is just come run into him and say, I screwed up, receive me back, and get instant fellowship back with God again. We'll actually talk about that more in a second. But anyway, so our sin is important because it does separate us from God. Not on God's side, but on our side. We end up running and we don't want to do that. Number four, our sin is dangerous. Sinning, missing the mark, our conduct, when we are living outside of God's will, that is a dangerous place to to be in because we open ourselves up to the devil. We open ourselves up to the devil who is raging against us and who is just looking for permission to have greater influence and greater power in our lives. Do you believe that? Let me give you some scripture. Peter says this, stay alert, church. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's you. That's you. The enemy is looking to devour your life. And so let's just say that we... I don't know. Let's just say we do something small. We get a little bit casual about the truth in our key relationships, right? So let's say we start telling little white lies here and there. Well, you know what the enemy's doing? The enemy's like, yeah, that's really good. Just do that. Keep going with that. That's working for you. As a matter of fact, the enemy might work it out that when you start being 
um, untruthful in your key relationships, the enemy might be, may be like, hey, let's make some really good space for that. And you might discover that lying is actually serving you pretty well. And the next thing you know, the truth is an optional thing in an important relationship. You might slip up sexually in, in just like your thought life or something. And the enemy's like, let's go with that. And he'll just keep matching. It's like a matching grant from Satan. And he keeps encouraging more and more and more until you find yourself in a really, really bad place. As a matter of fact, um, just a minute ago in our previous scripture, we read this. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read this. It says, uh, Paul said, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Why? For anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I just want to ask you guys, you don't want to have the devil have a foothold in your life, right? I don't want that for you, and I don't want it for me. And so that is why our conduct matters. That's why it's important to walk in a holy way, to walk in obedience to the Lord. Jesus' little brother James wrote this about temptation and about sin. He said, then after desire or temptation has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And what kind of death is he talking about? He's talking about every kind of death. He's talking about um, death to our connection with God. He's talking about death in our marriages, death to our joy, death to our pay, to our peace, death to our faith, right? Death even to our bodies. And I just wonder, you guys, if one of the devil's greatest lies to us, us New Testament, New Covenant Christians, is that our conduct doesn't really matter anymore because it's all been forgiven. We don't have to worry that much about it. Because if the devil can get us believing that, he can do so much damage to us and to our families and to the church and to our witness. And so as new covenant people, we ought to love God even more. Our standards ought to go even higher than they ever have before. Does that make sense? And so I would just, I want us to kind of have almost like a godly fear about sin in our lives. And what I mean by that is I want us to have a, a sober concern about it. I want us to think about how we live because it's important to us experiencing the life that God has for us. It's important to our relationships. It's important to our witness. And it's important, quite honestly, that we don't allow the enemy to get a foothold in our lives. But... All that to say about sin, let me switch gears for a moment now, because while some of you guys may be like, oh, I didn't even really think that we had a sin issue, that's no big deal, I know that others of us actually have been fighting great battles against sin. I know that there's some here uh, that you've been just under the gun, and it's felt like you've been trying so hard to live out a godly life, and it's been frustrating because you feel like there's an area of your life where you just can't get a breakthrough, you feel like you're constantly being like challenged in this way and you're dealing with guilt and you're dealing with shame and all of this stuff and you're wondering how can I ever live an obedient life how can I ever live in a way that God is pleased with because I really am struggling with that right well this is where we come into contact with the beautiful grace of God. And this is where we come to the place where we simply receive from God. And of course, grace, you guys, is God's love 
and it's his mercy and it's his favor and his natural affection and inclination towards us specifically when we don't deserve it. And what I love about grace is it goes actually beyond mercy, right? Sometimes I just pine for mercy like Lord or Molly, don't give me what I deserve, right? I just want to escape the flames. I just don't want to get the, the, the just punishment of my behavior. But grace is even better than that. It goes further than that because not only does grace not give us what we deserve in that negative sense, but grace gives us what we don't deserve. It gives us a love that we don't deserve. And I love this thing that John, the Apostle John wrote. Um, I just love it. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you guys to, to possibly even memorize this. And he said this, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness, from God's fullness, from the fullness of his heart. We have all received grace upon grace upon grace. And so to illustrate what God is like, especially when we're messed up, what God is like when we are in a place of needing him and not deserving him. I want to give you two stories. One story is super, super famous and billions of people know the story. And another story is not famous at all. And only a few people in this room know that story. Okay. So the first story uh, is this, it comes from the Bible and it was uh, at a moment where Jesus, Jesus was sharing a few, a few illustrations, short illustrations that showed how God was like, how, like, what's his father? Like, what is God like, especially when we're far from him, especially when we've messed up, when we're lost. And so this is what, what Jesus said. And this is, again, he's like, let me tell you about my dad. And so he says this, to illustrate the, the point further, Je- excuse me, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to give his wealth between his sons. I don't know if you guys have ever tried that, but um, as dishonoring and unloving as that would be in our time and place, it was even more so back then. This was a, a humongous slap in the face to his father. And so it says this, verse 13, a few days later, This younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money or his father's money in wild living. Another betrayal. About the time that his money had ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve and he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He was starving. And then he finally came to his senses and he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just take me on as a hired servant. And so he returned home to his father. And while he was a long way off, and this was key, while he was a long way um, off, uh, oh wait, I lost my place here, sorry. (laughs) Um, There it is. While he was a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring and put it on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son 
of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. And there are so many things, you guys, about this story that I love. But one of my favorite things is simply that Jesus is saying, you want to know about my dad? Do you want to know about my father? Do you want to know what he is like? Well, this is what he is like. He is like this, that when we are at our most messed up, when we are the least deserving, when we have screwed up again and again and again, when we have betrayed him and rebelled against him and failed him completely, do you know? Do you want to know what you're going to find when you encounter my father? You're going to find one who grabs you and gathers you up. You're going to find one who puts a ring on your finger, who kisses your cheek, who throws a party for your return. That is what my father is like when you need him the most. That is my first story. My second story comes from my life, and some of you have heard it and some of you haven't. But when I was in college, uh, actually in graduate school, I lived with my closest friend. His name was Wes. And Wes was just this incredibly kind-hearted, God-loving dude. Um, and uh, at one point, we were, we were living in this apartment. And on a Monday, Wes said, hey, Kev, my, uh, my mom and dad and my grandparents are coming to visit me on, on Saturday, and I was wondering, would it be okay if you um, just got all your stuff out of the, the main living area? I'll clean up the rest, but I just I just want the place to look good. We were like pigs, me in particular, right? So this place was like horrible. Um, and he said, would you just like get your stuff out of there, and I'll take care of the rest? And I'm like, sure, no problem at all. And so that was on Monday. On Tuesday, I didn't do any of it. I didn't, you know, even think about it. And um, on Wednesday, Wes, the, you know, the state of the apartment was unchanged according to all of my stuff and he said hey just wanted to remind you you know my parents and my grandparents are coming would love to you know have you get your stuff up by by Saturday morning I was like got it no problem don't worry think nothing nothing of it that was Wednesday Thursday uh, came and went I did nothing at all and Friday showed up and I got a little bit busy and um, spent the had a really good day and then um, went to bed and on Saturday morning, I woke up and I went from my bedroom to the bathroom and I looked at our living room and it was spotlessly clean. It was beautiful. And in that moment, I realized I had screwed up royally. And I was like, oh no. After all of that, I forgot to clean my stuff up. And I just felt so ashamed about it. I was like, dang it. And I heard Wes kind of messing around in the kitchen, and I went into the shower. And when I was in the shower, I heard a little knock on the door. And Wes cracked the door. He said, hey, could I could I talk to you like when you're done? I was like, yes. And so I took the longest shower way till the water was ice cold. Uh, <laughs> and so half an hour later, I dragged myself out of there, and I walk into the kitchen, and Wes goes, see, and I look, and on the table was like pancakes and eggs and coffee and bacon. I'm like, what's going on? He's like, I made breakfast for us. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, let's do breakfast. And I said, that's what you want to talk about? I was like, yeah, let's eat. And that was it. That was all that he said. He just made me breakfast at the end of that. And that is what God does. That's your God, that when you have screwed up and you don't deserve anything but a rebuke, your God, your Father, 
is a father that says, can I just love on you right now? Can I make you some breakfast? Can I give you what you don't deserve? That's what you get when you mess up with our father. And I love that. And I tell you this, you guys, after that, first of all, you know that that moment has been burned on my heart. That has taught me something about God and about how I want to be. And I wanted to do better for Wes after that than I ever had before. That is the power of grace extended when we don't need it. Does that make sense? And what I learned, you guys, and I'm still learning, it's hard, but I will tell you that I and you and everyone we know, we learn and we grow best in an atmosphere of grace. We just do. And so we could strive for that. So that's part two. Part three. What do we do when we mess up? What do we do when we fail? Well, to, to finish here, I want to give you two more uh, Bible stories. Um, and I want to share, what do we do, guys, when we have messed up before God? What do we do when we've messed up before people in our lives? And so we're going to share two stories from Jesus. The first one comes out of Luke. And it says this, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He said this, two men went to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters and sinners and adulterers, and I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But, then Jesus said, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. And he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. And I tell you this, Jesus says, This sinner, and not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the first story. Also in the Gospel of Luke, Luke records uh, a time, a moment where he was, uh, where Jesus was having dinner at the house of another Pharisee, uh, and during the midst of this dinner, the dinner was sort of in this like open courtyardy area, and in the middle of this dinner, this very, very sinful woman, this woman who had a horrible reputation in town that was well-deserved, this woman comes into the house weeping in an act of repentance and begins to wash Jesus' feet with her... With with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And it says this, after this woman had been doing this, this Pharisee was scornful of her. He was like looking down at his nose at her saying, Jesus, do you even know who this woman is? And it says, then he, Jesus turned to the woman and he said to Simon, the Pharisee, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, Simon, you You didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, you didn't, um, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. And I tell you, her sins, though they are many, and they are many, her sins have been forgiven. And so she has shown much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. 
And I just want to say, you guys, that I pray that we will never, ever resemble the Pharisee more than that broken woman or that tax collector. I pray that God's grace will never make us uncaring about our sin because it could be so easy in the, in the, the, the warm glow of this grace of God. I know it could be easy for us to get casual about our sin because he is just so good. But what I hope is that when we mess up, when we miss the mark with God, when we miss the mark with each other, I just pray that we say, God, it grieves me that I have messed up with you. It grieves my heart that I have grieved your heart. I feel so broken about that, Lord, and I know that I'm already forgiven, but I want you to know that I deeply care about how I live before you. I know it's a big deal to you, and because of that, it's a big deal to me. And I I want you guys to know, church, that, man, if that is the way that we can approach our own conduct with the people in our lives that matter a lot, do you realize that that is such a healing balm in our relationships when we say, I grieve that I have grieved you. I am sorry that I have done that. And I know that I'm forgiven. I know that you're going to forgive me, but I want you to know that it matters to me. And so I'm done. Um, here's what I hope that we learned today. I hope that we learned that our behavior matters a lot. Our sin matters. It matters to God. It matters to Satan. It matters to people around us. And I sure hope it matters to us. Um, I hope that we learned that God's grace is the most amazing and wonderful and powerful thing in the world. It's so good that I don't, I will never have words to articulate that to you. And finally, I want to challenge us to be um, sober minded about uh, how we approach when we mess up. Because when we confess our sins and when we say, God, I'm so sorry that I grieved you. Uh, you know, person in my life, I'm so sorry that I grieved you. God releases healing into that place. And we have just restoration pouring all over the place. Does that make sense? I am um, going to begin by giving you guys an opportunity to um, just do a little bit of business. We have just a couple of minutes here. And we the way that we like to wrap up our, our time together is by giving God a chance to minister to us. And for a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to minister to the heart of the Lord. And, um, and so I just want you to just think about your heart. Think about, um, just the way that you have, um, lived before God and for Him. And this, I'm just opening up a time for you to, um, express your love for Him, to express uh, repentance, if there's been any way where you have missed the mark, where you have been cavalier or not serious about the way that you've treated God or not kind in the way that you've treated people in your life that he's given you to love. Just take some time and, and do that good work of, of repenting before the Lord and, and receive his grace in this moment. So I'm just going to start us off. Lord, I I confess for my own life that I have truly missed the mark. As a matter of fact, I've missed the mark several times this week. I've had to um, confess to Molly that I just have, I just missed it. 
And Lord, I'm sorry that um, that my hard-heartedness grieves your heart. And I, I pray, Lord Jesus, just um, that I would be able to pour love into your heart and honor. I thank you that you have forgiven me and I ask for forgiveness. I pray for every person in this room that we would come into contact with the places where we might have grieved you. And I pray that um, that we would receive grace in this time, that we would offer it to you, that it wouldn't be a, a small thing in our hearts, but that we could offer it to you and receive restoration from you. I pray that the outcome of this would be that we would love much, that we would see you more clearly. Father, where there is any person in this room that is struggling with habitual sin, if there's any person in here where the devil has a foothold or even a stronghold, we just come against that right now in the name of Jesus. If there are any in here that have a, a, a foothold or a stronghold sexually, there's uh, brokenness with pornography or lustful thoughts or any of those things, we just rebuke the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. And we cast the enemy out and we just pray, Holy Spirit, come and bring healing power there in that area in particular.